But I remember the one day I was working at um, at the vet college and I was, I remember I was 19 because we had had so many deaths that day that we had 16 deaths in a 12 hour shift. And we were saying, oh, are we gonna reach 19? Because that's how old I was. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I'm your host, Todd Rennebaum. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. In this episode, I'm actually speaking with three different people. As you can guess, there were some technical issues because I'm not that great at it and my audio is not the best quality. Uh, but other than that, it's a wonderful conversation. The three people I, I'm talking with in this episode is Laura. She's a Family Ties Coordinator for the SPCA. Erin, she's a vet tech and Christy, she's a former animal shelter director. And as you could tell, they've all worked work or worked in animal welfare. And so did I at one time. Uh, and little did I know that uh, people that work in animal welfare have uh, struggle quite a bit with mental health. And in fact, veterinarians uh, are, have a high rate of suicide. It's one of those professions where they're, it's, it's up there in suicide rates. So um, yeah, it only makes sense that I do an episode about it. So uh, we're going to be talking with them in just a minute. But first, I'd like to talk about my guest next week. Her name is Agata, and she has applied to be MAID for a mental health issues. Uh, and MAID stands for Medical Assistance in Death. Uh, Canada has passed a bill in January to uh, allow for medical assistance in death for um, mental health reasons. However, after a couple months, there was some backlash and they've pulled back and they're going to think about it for a year or two. So Agato is one of those people that applied but is now in limbo. So I talked to her about about that and the process and why she's applied for it and um, you know the struggles she's had with mental health. And on Monday, April 24th, I'll be live on Instagram and my guest there will be uh, Laura Lawrence. She is a children's book author and she's also is part of a group called Youth Matter. And she goes around talking to youth and schools and stuff and just super great lady. So you can follow me on Instagram, Bunny Hugs Podcast to tune into that. And while you're there on Instagram, you can also follow Allie S. Academics. She's an ADHD coach and she's seen my son a couple times and she's just a really great, knowledgeable, helpful person when it comes to ADHD, giving you strategies and, and tools and uh, yeah, just helping helping folks out with their ADHD issues. Uh, that's Ali S. Academics on Instagram. But now back to the episode this week with Laura, Aaron and Christy. And again, sorry about the, the audio if my audio isn't the best, but you know, it's, it's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. And the conversation makes up for it. So uh, without further ado, I give you Laura, Aaron, and Christy. So it's the Cultivating Wellness Conference by the uh, Saskatchewan SPCA. Um, so a gathering for humans and animal welfare. Um, and honestly, I can say this has become a, a lot more, like a lot bigger than I thought it ever could. And I'm so happy at all of the the people that we're going to have speaking. Um, we've got everything from like burnout, um, chronic stress. We've got um, some speakers talking about queer in vet med, um, like trauma informed response. There's, there's so many different speakers uh, that are coming and hopefully it will be 
really, really useful. I think most of our conferences in veterinary medicine are usually technically focused. Um, and there's not so much of kind of like the mental health side, like there might be one or two talks at a conference about these kinds of things. But the fact that the entire event um, is really inclusive of that is, is really, really good. Well, I'm intrigued about the queer one. So it's, mm -hmm. it's mental health for queer uh, veterinarians. I'm so that one, we have Dr. Leo Perlinger and Dr. Rebecca Mycock. Um, Laura and I have previously worked with Dr. Mycock. And so discussing the joys and challenges associated with being out members of the LGBTQ uh, community. So both of them work in the same practice. And I think they're very open and transparent about being queer. Gotcha. Um, and I think we, I think we live in an inclusive industry, but obviously uh, I cannot necessarily speak to that. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear their experience. Hmm. Gotcha. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'm going to learn something. Laura has a question. Yeah. I just, I just have a comment to add um, yeah. that veterinarians, the field of veterinarians and more broadly animal welfare is a super white, super straight, super heteronormative patriarchal profession and industry. And so I think that there are like unique challenges that come and unique perspectives that come with diverse experiences. And so being able to kind of highlight that in animal welfare, you know, saying we have gone through these challenges, this is our experience. Um, and you are welcome as well in our industry really just broadens, um, folks that feel welcome and feel as though they have a place and a career in animal welfare. Mm. It's so you said it's patriar patriarchal. <laughs> Can't say that word. Um, but I don't think I've ever like almost every veterinarian I've ever met is a female. Now. now. So it, oh, there's okay. been a huge shift, I would say like, and I don't know numbers per se, mm. but I think we've kind of like, even how you see in teaching, how there used to be a lot more male teachers and it's really kind of swung the other way. It were for the vet, uh, the veterinarians, it's still predominantly female now uh, with, I, I don't know, like maybe three quarters female, one quarter male. And it's very like 95% female for techs. Mm, um, interesting. But, but yeah, Laura, maybe you can speak speak more to that. Yeah, I think um, historically, it was a very male profession. I yep. think now it is more female. But if you still look at leadership, um, a lot of leadership roles are still held by males. Um, but now I think that there is that, like Aaron said, that that kind of female swing or that um, more majority are female folks. And I think that now that's really because animal welfare is such a, an empathetic profession um, that that females gravitate towards it more than males. Um, but yeah, historically, I would say it was quite male dominated. I, I just talked to my veterinarian the other day. Um, well, my dog's veterinarian. I, I see a doctor, but um, she, I, I, I said I, I was telling her about how that we were going to do this episode and how I found it really interesting that veterinarians, it's like one of the top professions for, for, for suicide. They have a high rate of suicide in that profession. 
And she just kind of smiled and said, yes, it's mostly neurotic people and burnout. (laughs) I kind of chuckled. I was like, oh, okay. Um, Chrissy, are you neurotic? Uh, Maybe a little bit. (laughs) I'm not a vet, but. (laughs) Oh, right, right, right. Oh, you're the, you, you are, you run a, you are director of a shelter. Yeah, I was a shelter manager for a few years. Gotcha. Where are you now? I am actually working at a plumbing company now. Okay. I'm sure they have their <laughs> own mental health challenges there. You know what? I've worked in both a plumbing shop and an animal shelter. So there you oh, go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, one of my, I'd say one of my first traumas, I was 18 years old working at the Regina Humane Society. And as soon as I hit 18, one of my like jobs, one of my duties was euthanizing animals. And, uh, I do that. And like, you know, animals are always coming in like messed up from abuse and stuff. Like it was, yeah, it it fucked me up for a bit. (laughs) I, uh, I totally understand that. Yeah. And I was like, you see a very dark side of humanity. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, like besides the euthanization stuff, which is horrible as it is, you do kind of lose faith in mankind when you hear about some of the stuff they're doing to animals and then seeing the animal there, like they're, they're bringing it in. It's like, why, what the, who, what the hell's going on? Yeah. You get very good at holding your tongue and then dealing with it afterwards. Yeah. Um, But then, you know, then, then you think even further and it's like, well, why are these people hurting these animals? Because probably because they're, also have some weird trauma and some weird mental health issues and they're living in poverty and blah, 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 blah. and it's like, and then you go down that rabbit hole and as a neurotic <laughs> empath person, empathetic person, yep. you, you just end up quitting <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and working in a plumbing shop. Exactly. Not just you, me. I mean, well, you too. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Would so, you say that either of you were, adequately prepared to do that aspect of the job no i'm being interviewed now i like it (laughs) but you know what i just like i've heard a version of that story taught a few times like i know many people that have worked in shelter medicine and it's often young people too um and i feel like they are kind of like thrust into this role which clearly there's a need for it there's a reason Mm -hmm. we have shelters um but it seems like we're doing a disservice to the staff of these places to not prepare them or to give them some sort of avenue to, to help heal and help deal with these things. Yeah. Like that job was 1995 for me. And we did actually have, I worked there for, I want to say about two years. We had one day where we spent like an hour and talked about mental health and it was like a, it was like a group session where everybody got along, sat around and like basically cried and vented about stuff. And it was like, <laughs> and it was, it was good. It was therapeutic, but I was like, we should be doing this like once a week, not once every two years. Um, And, and yeah, I do feel like I was just thrust into that job. Like I didn't know what the hell I was getting into. I remember crying to my grandmother. Um, She invited me over for supper one night and I'm like upset. And she's like, you know, Todd, this is, she, she ba- I can't remember exactly what she said, but she basically said, having, so we need people like you to do these jobs because you're so empathetic. 
and and you feel for these animals that you know you're 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 doing a wonderful service for these animals and whatever and i was like oh good well i'm glad i'm sacrificing myself so these <laughs> animals have a nice like last couple of days but um but i got it. it was really sweet and I, I it actually did really make me feel better that she said that but um but now i'm still on meds <laughs> Or other and that's okay. <laughs> it is okay. Yeah. I mean, my whole mental health journey wasn't because of that, but it started there. <laughs> yeah. I think it is curious to think, you know, yeah, you had that one day and that's great. Whoever took the, the initiative to have that conversation with the staff. But like you said, like what happens the other 364 days of the year when you're going home and you're like carrying that home with you or how are you processing that? Or you probably can't even process your regular emotions as an 18 year old yet, let alone these super heavy things of death and grief and loss and not understanding why the death is happening and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the torture. Yes. Yes. And I remember I, I do, I have the opinion that euthanasia can be a really nice gift to our pets and to our animals, um, given certain circumstances. And of course it at sometimes is, is a last resort and maybe not the best option for the animal. Um, but I remember the one day I was working at, um, at the vet college and I was, I remember I was 19 because we had had so many deaths that day that we had 16 deaths in a 12 hour shift. And we were saying, oh, are we going to reach 19? Because that's how old I was. Um, and there's many of the, the vet techs that still work with Aaron and, and um, are still at the vet college that were working on that shift. And we were counting them up and, and they were deaths for a variety of reasons. And there were some that were really awful and emergency and, and traumatic deaths. And then there were some that the family, it was the best option for the animal and, and that animal had reached the the last of its quality of life. And it was the best time to say goodbye. And that family had an opportunity to do so in a, in a good way. Um, but nonetheless, nonetheless, it's still death and you're still processing that and you're still, you know, going through that motion and then running to the next thing, because that's what the animals need. And that's in a shelter setting, probably very similar, you know, you're, you're doing it and then you're like, okay, on to the next. And you're not like sitting there to think, how is this impacting me or, or how is this impacting the people that I'm working with? Mm-hmm. And, and it's especially Absolutely. hard. Yeah. And it's especially hard when you're 18 and you're euthanizing like an entire litter of kittens and the mother yeah. because there's no room in the shelter. Like that's right. the only reason. And it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm taking the lives of this entire family of cats who are all sweet as hell. It's just, yeah. we, it's just, and, and like, I, I, I love Bob Barker. <laughs> it was like his message every at the end of every show was spay and neuter your pets and it was like yes spay and neuter your goddamn pets because otherwise yeah. people like me have to <laughs> put down these poor animals because they're running loose and they're, they're, it's overpopulation and anyway yeah. yeah it was heartbreaking at times it's yeah. true I think that's kind of a facet that we I don't know I, I, I'm glad that we're having discussions like this about it because I've spoken a little bit like my mom is is a human nurse I say human nurse as opposed to veterinary. <laughs> um, oh, I think I'm an alien. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and as we know, within the last few years in Saskatchewan, euthanasia for humans is now a thing. Um, and I fully stand by that. 
Um, I but I do think it would be an interesting conversation to have with these, with these doctors or nurses that are involved in it because it's such a different thing. Because if you are having someone apply for a maid, there are, I don't want to say hoops to jump through, but there's like a very clearly defined process of how you can apply and if you're approved and how these things happen. And those doctors would never be faced with here is a, a baby euthanize this baby or this litter of six babies you know like it's it's one thing to say a kitten but it's like that is a a baby animal you know Mm -hmm. so it's there is a different aspect that we're kind of dealing with and it's because i i think i can be at peace with with the ones that were as described where if the family is has come to a decision together it's it's clearly end of life like those ones i I feel a certain amount of responsibility to be a part of them, but it's the ones where it's, it's the alternative scenario that make it really difficult. Mm-hmm. And speaking of made, um, Canada was making, uh, it's so that you could actually get made for mental illnesses. And I just spoke to a woman. Um, I just interviewed a woman, the episode's not out yet who applied for that, um, to get that done. But now Canada's now, said whoa 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 they reeled it back in and said um okay we're gonna think about it again because everyone's complaining about it so um so that's that was a a pretty fascinating interview actually talking to a woman who wants to die because of her mental illness and you'll have to listen to it i won't get into it right now because i could talk (laughs) and i could talk for two hours about that alone but i saw christy shaking her head like (laughs) uh but i mean yeah I won't. Okay, I'm going to change the subject about made because I'm I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting all tart. Anyway, um, I do agree for it for physical elements, but anyway. Uh, so what we were talking about killing babies? What kind of what are we talking about? <laughs> this took a turn. I think I think it's also maybe like jumping off of what we were talking about with with kind of the heaviness of the job. Right. Um, I think I think that it's also difficult. I don't want to say for all people, but most people that don't work in animal welfare, it's hard for them to wrap their heads around like that's the reality. You know, like you are like the reality is you probably will see death daily. You probably will work overtime at least once a week. You probably will be working a 12 hour shift at least once a month or at least once a week. Like you will probably be stretching yourself. And it's not all just like petting kittens and playing with puppies <laughs> and like walking a dog. There's so much more to it that I think a lot of people that haven't found themselves in that situation, like it's just hard to grasp. I don't know if Christy or Aaron want to extend on that or, or yeah, have gonna, any comments on that idea. Yeah. I was going to ask Christy, uh, um, did you get volunteers and people applying for jobs to be like, think it's going to be all rainbows and, puppy you know i'm gonna play with kittens and walk puppies and then be like what the hell did i get myself into oh absolutely i had actually there's one that really sticks out in my brain and i was pretty new to being the manager and this woman wanted to come and volunteer and i was so happy i was like that's awesome you know come on in and so we had to clean the cat litter boxes well that was just a hard pass and she was like, well, no, I want to do other stuff. And I was like, well, 
this is what needs to get done. <laughs> like, I mean, if you want to cuddle, just come during our open hours, but that's not, it's not helping me really. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just death. It's yeah. It was a lot of uh, people saying, Oh, you work with animals. Like, Oh, you just get to play with puppies all day. And it's like, no, I actually hate when puppies come into my shelter. They were the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Why? There's poo everywhere. Never ending. <laughs> yeah. There's always the one that like steps in yeah. and jumps around. It's kennel and oh, man. Oh, yeah. But it, it is a polarizing job, too, because you do get those moments where it's like you do get to make a connection with an animal. And it's like you do get, you know, on the, sometime throughout the day, once in a while to like you know hang out with a kitty or a doggy and be like oh thank you it's like i needed this animal therapy because i'm putting down animals you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's a polarizing job for sure which i mean again like for mental health reasons i mean that's a whole other side of it like we're talking about the darks oh before i i talk about positives um well this is a positive i guess do you find that there's people that have dark humor Mm. in your workplaces Absolutely. Guilty as charged. <laughs> you kind of need it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine <laughs> working in a hospital or something, but um, so um, I, I don't know. Do you guys know much about animal therapy or any, anything like that? Like, you know, for the positive of mental health and animals side? Definitely hear about it. Like it's not something I've ever experienced myself other than kind of these like organic interactions that you're talking about. Like, I work exclusively in small animal, but I hear so many good things about equine therapy specifically. I'm like, I should go hang out with a horse. <laughs> Horses are too big and smart. I don't like any animal that's bigger and smarter than me. Mm. I got thrown Fair. off a horse when I was a kid, so I just haven't been the same <laughs> since. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the reason you do have to do it. But I've heard they get, like, if you're not comfortable with them, then they, like... You need this vibe, and it's like if you're scared of them, then they'll be like weird to you, which then makes Hopefully scares me. therapy horses are a little forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, when I was in the psych ward, we had someone come bring their doggies in, and, and it was uh, just being in the psych ward, it's like the movies, man. It's just like bananas, but <laughs> it's like a room full of weirdos petting a dog. He's like, my turn, my turn. And I was one of them. And I was like, yay, this is a good day for me here. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I told that story. Uh, okay, you guys talk for a bit. Positive? Was it a positive <laughs> experience? Yeah, yeah. Well, I love dogs. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it's just, I wish you could be there because, again, here comes my dark humor, I guess, but I mean, it's bananas at a psych ward. <laughs> I think that is kind of the beauty of working with animals, though, is that like, you know, you could be exhausted or you could be annoyed with one of your coworkers or whatever. And you just go into the dog ward or or go to see a cat kennel or whatever. And you can just have like a, a glimpse or a look with them or some sort of small exchange. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be OK. Like, we're good. A bit of a reset. Yeah, I've worked in like uh, even an office one one time. Um, we had like an office cat and stuff, and it was amazing. It was like mm. it was very chill. And I worked at Globe Theater too. And sometimes people would bring their dogs to work, and 
it was just cool having a dog walk around the building and stuff. And why doesn't why aren't there dogs and cats just everywhere? Oh, I know why. I would because we we'd have to put them down. I guess <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of everywhere. Here I am promoting spaying and neutering, but I also want them <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I mean, one thing I uh, that you <laughs> that I just thought of while you were talking was one of the mental health aspects of the veterinary and animal welfare world that I don't think is talked about is when you're training in human medicine to deal with a patient, like you're having a direct conversation with your patient and in vet med, it's a triangle. There's a doctor, there's a patient and the patient is owned. Mm. And then there's an even further kind of level to that. If we're not talking about pets and we're talking about livestock. So then that's really an animal that is a piece of property and not in the same, it's just like not the same relationship. And I think one thing that can be difficult is separating your feelings about the pet and the owner, because I think it can be really easy. It can kind of be default to have a pet come in in a certain state of disarray and immediately your mind can kind of go being like, well, what kind of person would allow XYZ. And it's, if anything I've learned, it's that there needs to be more education because a lot of people just don't know. Like a lot of people may just not realize that what they're providing isn't enough. And that could be, that could speak for themselves too. You know, like there are so many pets or different species of animals that require certain things, certain degrees of stimulation, certain environments. And if there isn't the appropriate education there, can I fault that person for not knowing? Like if someone just buys a, like I have a rabbit, so I'm, I'm a bunny person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you hug really? it? Really? Uh, no, he would never allow that. <laughs> but I think that it's a, it's a good example of families often get rabbits and don't necessarily know what they really need. Like they really need a ton of space. They're a prey creatures. So they're very different than a dog or a cat and how you approach them. And when you see animals sometimes in a state of disarray, it's like, well, maybe these people just didn't have the education, the appropriate education to provide properly. And I can't disown them or, you know, think negatively until we've given that education and given people the opportunity to change and do better. But it's hard because sometimes you do just have like the default of like, how could you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, growing up, we had a rabbit and it died because we were just terrible owners. <laughs> Basically, my dad was like, okay, you guys take care of it. And yeah, um, I, I feel guilt to this day yeah. because of that goddamn yeah. rabbit. But anyway, um, <laughs> and and yeah, so so it's almost like having an owner of an animal. It's almost like uh, someone's bringing you their car. It's like you're a mechanic. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's this beautiful creature that you're just like, how the hell why aren't you changing the oil in this thing every 3000 kilometers? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, I guess he just didn't know. Um, I don't know. Was that a good, uh, it can, it can be, I think, I, I feel like I make that comparison a lot because people often think like you can go to a mechanic and have your car like plugged in these days and get diagnostics run. And you can't do that with your cat. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we need to read clinical signs and like, it's really a, a mystery game sometimes trying to decipher what's going on, especially with cats, because they're 
they're so good at just like hiding hiding whatever's wrong as again like prey creatures they're not going to let you know something's wrong until they're basically a death store mm. and that can be really difficult for clients when you do realize something's wrong and you go in and then suddenly you're you're faced with a huge bill and right. even like the financial aspect that is a whole thing on its own like the few times that i've dealt with american clients have been great because they understand what healthcare costs we're blessed in canada to have universal healthcare and anytime someone says like 400 bucks for a spay like that's robbery i'm like do you know what a hysterectomy on a human would cost in the states tens of thousands hmm tens of thousands and i'll do it for think, 50 right <laughs> and like part of it again is people just don't know and then and it, it's frustrating from like the health healthcare aspect to, to see people price shop. Because again, if you're going to make the comparison to a vehicle, like you might not want to go to the cheapest mechanic. Mm -hmm. You might not want to go to the most expensive mechanic. Somewhere in the middle is probably what you should do. And it's, it's hard not to get frustrated when you hear people being like, well, I'm just going to go to the cheapest, the cheapest mm -hmm. option for medicine. And it's like, you're probably getting a cheaper result too. You get what you pay for. Yeah. In theory. Yeah, man. Uh, my dogs just got uh, a dentist quote. Oh, Woo! yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I got pliers. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> give, it some, give it some edibles. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, it does feel like, though, maybe I'm just old. The expenses have jumped like from like 20 years. And I'm assuming it's just better meds, better equipment, better training. Like I know all this stuff costs too. Like, like well, actually, dentistry for my dog. Like I don't even think it existed 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like no one talked about brushing their dog's teeth and giving them the green chewy <laughs> things. Like it was just so. I mean, which, but it makes sense though because like <laughs> your dog's probably in pain. It's got, yeah. you know, terrible teeth and infections can run through its body because of these teeth. So, um, yeah, I think uh, maybe it's just I'm answering my own question. I think. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, everything has increased. And in, in, I think there used to be a huge disparity of like human medicine is up here. Veterinary medicine is like, I don't want to say it was looked at as like a lower class of medicine, but it's it's mm -hmm. much more equal now. Like we yeah. have like the vet college has incredible technology at their disposal mm -hmm. and people don't people are floored when i tell them that there's like an oncology department and that you can get chemo for your dog like people are just floored <laughs> i'm a little floored right now yeah and and that's okay thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> um um so so the one dog i was i was explaining before while Christy was trying to join that uh I just um rescued I don't like that term rescued everyone uses it it's like they want to be a martyr or something but we bought a dog a seven-year-old um uh, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel and she's got bad teeth and I was telling my dad about it the quote was like eighteen hundred dollars was like oh my god you're not gonna spend that uh, the dogs have only got like a couple years left like why would you do that to that <laughs> what the hell else am I gonna do like just let her suffer and not be able to eat properly for two years or like uh i mean it is 
I don't make a lot of money <laughs> and I've got kids both to go into university and stuff. So it is, but that's the way it is these days. And then he started bitching up. Sorry. I'm now I'm just complaining about my dad. And then he started, bitching. your dad mother's <laughs> buying treats and they're $7 a bag. Who the hell? Who are people are treating their dogs like they're humans now? $7 for treats. I was like seven bucks. That's so that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He's old school. Actually, her dog just uh, tore her ACL, and she just got her surgery done. So she was looking at. I think now that she's done a couple of her rehab sessions, she's at about six grand, and uh, she has zero regrets because that's her baby. And she got hurt while she was watching her. So it's her responsibility to do what she has to do. Yeah. And But it's wild. Well, you can buy health insurance for your animals now. Yeah. She was going to buy it six months ago and oh. then decided not to. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, some things are covered and some aren't, but yeah. Depends. But on the, the more people, like the more that we can educate people that it's even an option. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It's yeah. wild that more people don't. And I, and it's hard because on one hand, sure, you can tell people to have an emergency fund available or a credit card that's open, but you know, you can't control your life. Like if you're, I've heard all sorts of crazy stories from people being like, well, my car just broke down and then my, you know, water heater just blew up and now my dog <laughs> did this and it, you can't always rely on those things. And again, that comes kind of comes into like, I can't fault someone if they might not have the financial means in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, doesn't mean that they don't have good intent. I definitely like that there is like a financing option now. Like there's actually companies that will finance your vet care. And I, just, I love that because it comes yeah. in handy for so many people. And that's peace of mind too, right? So that's like another thing for mental health. So it's like, maybe yeah. you don't, I mean, you can't like only rich people shouldn't be able to have animal, have dogs and pets. Right. So um, it's nice that, you know, everyone can enjoy an animal and ha- give it good health um, and be able to afford it. And yeah, maybe you might have to make payments if something's wrong with it or, you know, there's an emergency, but at least it's not the other option, which is euthanization or or getting rid of your, you know, this pet that you love. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I would argue that. Um, Are you going to argue and- now? <laughs> I, would, yeah. I would um platonically say <laughs> that, um, that probably a lot of animals are surrendered to the shelter system that's already at overcapacity because of these costs that are, Again, no fault of the veterinarian or the vet clinic that they're accessing services from, but just the fact that um, prices can add up. And so, yeah, that might result in animals being surrendered or rehomed or abandoned or or whatever their outcome might look like. Well, when I was a kid, it was I didn't know a farmer that didn't shoot a dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, that was that was bleak. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of my dog, that my seven-year-old dog that we just got, uh, we actually think that the old owners, because she, she, her ears were just full of brown gunk. I think it was costing them some money. She, her nipples were like really long or big or whatever. I think they bred the living shit out of her. She was no Mm -hmm. longer able to 
breed anymore. So then they, she was starting to get sick. And so they like pawned it off on us. And we were like, as soon as we started like, oh, we love her. Yeah, here's your money. And then, and then we take her to the vet. It's like, she's riddled with, you know, nickel and dime stuff, right? But it's like, <laughs> I mean, again, I don't regret anything, but um, yeah. Yeah. That was one thing I always said, like, cause we always had people that would be, you know, oh, you're selling these dogs for $350 at the shelter when I can go get one for free. And it's like, yeah, you could, but it's not free because all the stuff that we have now done to this dog is that, that costs money. I was like, we make zero on adoptions. Right. And people just don't get that. So, and actually going back to your farmer shooting a dog thing, that was another big dark spot in my time at the shelter. Cause when we would get people phoning in, wanting to surrender animals. And if I said, well, you know, we're full right now, I can't take your animal in. They would say, well, if you're not going to take it, I'm just going to go shoot it. And it got to the point that I just had to tell them like, you do whatever you have to do, but I'm not taking that on my conscience. And it's like, what do you say to that? Yeah. You're like, I quit. I'm going to work for a plumber. (laughs) 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 Um, we would have people that would throw like cats into our dog kennels because we would tell them no we don't have room no way and they would just be like here you go Mm. Mm. the one dog here my tattoo the one that's (laughs) now passed he uh he was free no he was 25 dollars uh we got there were so it's story time now. Um, we went to pick up this dog that we found on Kijiji and we got to the house and like, it was like a zoo. Like we could hear like, I don't know how many dogs were in this house. And like, you know, like I swear I heard an elephant and a camel. I was like, what is going on in this house? And this old lady comes out. She's got this big bird on her shoulder and <laughs> these two little dogs. And it's like in uh, like the, the inner city kind of housing in Regina. And uh, he was, she was asking $50 per puppy. And then she's like, will you take both for 50? I was like, yes. I was like, let's get these dogs <laughs> out of here. Um, and then we, we just gave one away to some people from town. Um, two nights later, those people phoned us and said, we had to get it euthanized. It had parvovirus. Oh, so no. we spent like $300 getting a parvovirus test for the dog. That was $25. <laughs> and, <laughs> He lived for a good 12 years, but um, yeah, buyer beware. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that house was bananas. I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, yeah. I don't mind spending a bit of money for a doggy now. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's going to spread parvovirus all over the town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not good. But anyway, that had nothing to do with <laughs> mental health, but <laughs> a, a lot good of this story. doesn't. <laughs> well, thank you, Laura. <laughs> Okay, I quit again. You guys talk about mental health. (laughs) I would say one thing that we, because working at the vet college, so we work with the vet students that will one day be veterinarians and also the tech students that will one day be vet techs. And I feel like there's a concerted effort now to try and talk to people about mental health before they get started and try to let them know about what sort of support systems there are. Um, like our provincial uh, tech association gives us 
therapy sessions every year. I encourage every student to take them, even on like a preventative basis. I always try to tell people like, don't wait until you're overwhelmed to, to go. Um, and because for some people, you can compartmentalize really easily and other people, you have to feel it. I've, I'm definitely a feeler <laughs> and not a put it away person. Um, but kind of like learning the art of debrief is, is something that I've only within the last few years tried to encourage. Like we often will do debriefs after CPR. So we'll, everyone that was involved in doing CPR, will have them all be like, hey, how did that go? What went well? What didn't go well? What could we have done differently? Um, partly because there's a huge like adrenaline dump after doing something that intense. Um, and being able to like take a step and be like, okay, and not just immediately going on to the next, which is what Laura was saying. Like we all kind of default to that of just like, okay, put your head down, get back to it. Mm -hmm. But we've been trying to do debriefs for hard cases too. Like if we have a neglect case come in or an abuse case or anything like that, I've been trying to make a point. And I know a lot of the people at the clinic have been trying to be like, we can take a second to acknowledge that this is upsetting. And even yeah. s just that sometimes just to, to be like, it's okay to be upset about this or to be horrified or, you know, insert word here. It's okay to experience that right now. Indifferent. Are some people just like whatever and they can. And, and maybe that's important too. Like if, if you're noticing someone is not feeling anymore and they once mm. did, you know, like I've had a lot of coworkers go on mental health leaves and trying to take care of each other, but also take care of yourself can be a really difficult balance sometimes because I think we're not like we're in a caregiving world. So if you just keep taking things on yourself, it can, it can bite you as well. Hmm. As well. Like the dogs yeah. and cats. <laughs> yeah. That was, I didn't even try to do that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so for me and I'm learning, so I was telling you guys I have ADHD and I guess apparently one thing ADHD years can do is be very good in like emergency situations. Uh, and then just like be able to go like and walk away. But mm -hmm. then it takes like a day or two days so like a debrief for me would be like, wow, that was crazy. But then two days later is when it's like, what the, <laughs> you know? that's what like, yeah. you process. It takes two days to process. And, um, and, and when you were talking there, I was wondering about, so we talked about um, the rates of suicide in veterinarians and in animal care. What, what about addictions? Is that something that's uh, numbers are high in as well? As far as like, I don't know statistics, but yes. And, and <laughs> access, access is part of it. Right, right. There's fentanyl in there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I would dare to say that most of the <clears throat> suicides in the industry probably have a lot to do with the accessibility of a way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh God, got bleak again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know of any specific research that looks at addictions. I know there's a handful of research that looks at mental health of vets and vet techs. Um, some that's now coming out around like animal protection officers and, and animal welfare workers in general. But yeah, I think looking at addictions would be super interesting to look at the, the data and the stats for sure. But I would agree with Aaron that like off a 
a personal note of just like thinking of who I know in the animal welfare world, I would say, yeah, it's pretty, a pretty good number. Um, when you, when Aaron, you said yes, if, if you ever want to talk. <laughs> Absolutely. I used to work at addictions. So are you well, having even like, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not even necessarily oh. just thinking like life shattering addictions, but I think of poor coping mechanisms. Right. Right. You know, I know a lot of people that, need a release and can still function, but you know, like are teetering that line. Um, well, when I worked in addictions, there was always, uh, in, in the treatment center, there was always a nurse, a first responder, a, you know, somebody in healthcare in there. Um, so I'm assuming it's similar for veterinarians, but yeah, I don't, I never knew any veterinarians to be in, in there, but they're business owners too. Right. It's not like, they have mm-hmm. a boss standing over them saying, uh, we're worried about you. You have to go to treatment. Yeah. Hmm. That'd be and interesting. I think, uh, um, just circling back to the debriefing. So when I was going, I'm a, a social worker by education, but when I was going to university and kind of throughout my college years, I worked at the vet college. And so, um, I had lots of that exposure in terms of animal health. And then my first job as a real social worker, once I had graduated um, university was in human health. And so then I was thrown into that and looking at how they were debriefing and they were kind of handling things. And, and really the, there's lots of similarities between human and animal health, but also a lot of differences like we've kind of talked about throughout this conversation. Um, But it really opened my eyes to like, wow, why isn't animal health like embracing these strategies or, or looking at these mechanisms? And I think that now they're, they are, and it's awesome to hear and awesome to see those things kind of slowly making their way into the industry um, or not slowly, like some are, are really being pushed, which is awesome. Um, but we're definitely behind in terms of, of human health initiatives. But I think that there's some folks nationally and provincially that are really pushing it, which is, which is awesome. But, um, but yeah, I would say that just made me think of when Aaron was talking about debriefing that, um, I didn't realize what our small clinic was kind of missing or, or maybe mm-hmm. not utilizing until I then was thrown into human health and, and was able to see that perspective and compare the two. Christy, did you do a debriefing at your shelter? Um, Not like after hard situations. We did them every day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we would do kind of sit down staff meetings. There was usually only three or four of us. So we would just kind of sit and talk. Um, And then in the afternoons, we would take a 15 minute mental health break where we would just do whatever, whether it was going outside and playing catch with one of the dog balls or just something to give your mind a break. Yeah, it's it's now that I'm thinking about it, it's bananas that I worked at a shelter for almost two years. and We did it once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that something that you implemented, Christy, or was that there when you got there? No. So actually when I started was when that shelter opened. Mm. So everything, like all the procedures and stuff, I had to work with the board members to create them all. Um, so that was something I had brought in. I've dealt with mental health with my family forever. So <laughs> That's something that was very important to me. 
Let's dive into that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, would you? Um, so, oh yeah. Okay. So my my mom, um, she's been struggling with some serious mental health issues since I was about five. So that kind of turned my life in that direction of really being insightful about mental health and being really empathetic towards people with mental health. I know even still when I'm watching like TikTok videos and stuff, and if somebody's making fun of somebody, I'm sitting there and it's like, they're not on drugs. Like they're having a mental health crisis Mm -hmm. and I want to go help that person rather than, you know, laugh at what they're doing. Um, Yeah. And I, myself, I have dealt with mental health since I was probably 15 years old. Um, I also actually just started ADHD meds and that has been like, no, uh, Vivan. It has been phenomenal. Love it. (laughs) Me too. Um, Yeah. And there's been a lot of like addictions in my family. So I'm pretty sure just self-medicating mental health, even with myself. I know being younger and growing up in a small town, that was all you did was drank and it helped my, my bad feelings that I had. So I just kept going with it. Um, so I actually completely stopped drinking about six years ago. I'm six years sober. (laughs) Christy. You're the female me of Northern Saskatchewan. Exactly. You worked at a plumbing shop, dr- worked at a shelter, <laughs> have AD- just started ADHD meds and sober six yeah. years. <laughs> Seriously, this is fucking weird. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You're my yeah. doppelganger. <laughs> so I'm super happy that I wasn't drinking during my shelter time because I feel like it would have been. So, so much worse. So, so like we're saying, like we have all that to worry about anyway, and then throw yourself into super stressful, super traumatic, super um, emotional, empathetic, terrible situations at work. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's bananas that we do this to ourselves, but someone has to do it. Yeah. And that was why I was good at it. Yeah. I was used to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I was 18 and doing that job. Yeah, I was, I was, was, that was the beginning of my drinking career and it was like, it really took off around then. (laughs) Yeah. Laura or Aaron, do you guys have like mental health experience other than the job too? You're like, I, this is, um, I don't, um, directly that I have like self diagnosed myself. I, I am fortunate that I've had fairly stable mental health throughout my life. Um, but I would say that I have very close people in my life that have, and are still currently struggling with addictions and mental health and probably addictions due to mental health and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's probably what, um, kind of steered me towards a career in social work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, that like people, like we've talked about earlier, people that are really empathetic and compassionate people are typically drawn to animal welfare. Um, and I think that those people can sometimes feel as though they need to support, like you need to support the animals and help the animals, but also probably that extends into like the humans in your life. Like I need to support the people that are struggling and the animals that are struggling or, or facing challenges or that sort of thing. So that 
it's just a thought. I don't know how that, I don't know how that connects, but that's <laughs> maybe a thought. Well, I think social workers are very similar too with that. They're empathetic yeah. and they're caregivers. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Aaron, you want any experience you want to share? Um, I mean, yeah, I've definitely personally struggled with mental health and uh still do at times. Um took took many different medications to find a good fit, which I know can be so frustrating for people. And maybe not frustrating, but like just disheartening. Um, and it makes me sympathetic for anyone going through a medical thing, right? Like it's, it can take a lot of time to find a medication that works or even a therapist that works. Like I think I went through three or four different counselors before I found the person that I really like jive with. Um, and now that I've found that person going to hold on, um, they retire. Yeah, right. (laughs) She's young. I hope she's got some time left. Um, My dad as well uh, struggled with mental health. Um, He's an air traffic controller. So another high, high, high stress job. And I think only in my adult life have I really like understood what, and I still, I I still don't fully understand just how stressful that job must be. But I guess I can see it from my own perspective of like, yeah, I get, I get how, you know, being run off your feet and having your mind go in a million different directions and like high stakes scenarios can drain you for sure. And I think it can be difficult sometimes working in emergency services because I feel like I we I do four four days on four days off shift work, and so often I hear from my coworkers and I experience it myself that those days are just like recovery. <laughs> like, yeah, like, is, yeah. is it really a day off if you're just like, <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, nothing gets done around the house and that's time to go back to work. Cause you were just trying to recoup your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, do you still see a, a professional, like a counselor? Yep. And do you have to talk about work once in a while? Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. And, I think it can be difficult to talk about sometimes because not difficult to talk about, but difficult to have people get it. Like Mm -hmm. it is such a unique thing sometimes talking about animals, because if I talk to anyone about this kind of stuff, they'll be like, wow, that's, that's really sad. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, but (laughs) I have to do like, but you have to do it or someone has to do it. There, there need to be these people. Um, And like to talk about like self-care. I feel like self-care is such a, like a, that word has such weight now. (laughs) Those words have such weight, but trying to figure out something that works for you to, to make sure that you have some sort of longevity. And I think it's, it's a fluid scenario. I don't think anyone has it exactly dialed in or nailed down, you know, seasonally, even like how I care for myself in the dead of winter when you can't go outside versus (laughs) how you do self-care when you can actually go out and enjoy some sun. Like mm-hmm. that's such a simple difference, but it's seasonal. <laughs> yeah. A lot more Nutella in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> By the way, when we were, we were, when we kept talking about debriefing, I, I, I visually keep thinking of underwear being removed. <laughs> debriefing. Not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Deboxering. Deboxering. <laughs> The boxer briefing, briefing, never mind. <laughs> anyway, um, 
when Jello was talking, it made me think um, I was speaking with a, a close friend of mine or a person in my life about um, like their feelings and, and kind of mental health related things. And they were like, I don't know, like, do I have depression? Do I not have depression? I don't know. And they are um, in animal welfare and working like extreme hours, like 13 hour days for six days a week. And then the seventh day they work five hours and like on call and, and doing all these things and, and really giving a lot of themselves. Um, so then we talked and we're like, okay, like maybe there could be some depression like symptoms that are coming up, but is that a mental health challenge or is that situational because of the job that you're finding yourself in? Like, you know, you're not feeling as though you're being as social as you used to. Well, again, when you're working 12 plus hour days, you're going to come home and you're going to want to shower and go to bed or like you don't have that energy or the time that maybe you could like explore those outside of work activities. Same thing with like how they're feeling. Well, okay. If you're inside, and you're not getting the sun and we live in Saskatchewan in the winter, like that's going to have an impact on you. And again, like maybe that could be a depression like symptom, but also maybe that's again, just because of, of the work that you find yourself in. And so I wonder like, based on that conversation that I had with this individual, like, are there more people in animal welfare that are, are questioning or wondering because it's great that it is a conversation that's coming up and like, there is more open talk about it about like people's mental health and the the challenges that they're facing. Um, and so it's interesting that, that like, Oh, is it me or is it the situation that I'm finding myself in right now? Right. I guess, but both could be a cause for depression. So, I mean, it would still be depression. It was just, it's not bipolar or something. It's uh, yeah. yeah, like I said, situational. Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating in medicine sometimes how, we we don't practice what we preach (laughs) like i i think i think about some of the like ungodly hours that people work and how much time they put in and it's like you couldn't i couldn't expect myself to be a functioning human on so little sleep you know Mm -hmm. and such high stress but and maybe that that has to be part of the conversation is this is the situation how can we expect people to perform well when we're asking so much of them physically? And you're talking about veterinarians and vet techs or, or mental, all of it, all of it, <laughs> healthcare in yeah. general. Yeah. I yeah. mean, specifically like interns and residents, like their schedule is absolutely insane. Like when you hear about someone having under 10 hours of sleep in three days, it's like, it's concerning. Um, yeah. How are you yeah. making sound medical decisions at that point even? Yeah. Or life is, Yeah. It's illegal for truck drivers to do that. Like, wh- why are we letting doctors and nurses do that? And I think part of it is because there's such staffing issues that it's like it would collapse if we didn't. Yeah. But yeah. I agree. Like, there should there should be things in place that's like, no, you you know, you got called in at three in the morning. We will not allow you to come back <laughs> until you've at least left this building for X amount of hours. And I think both Christy and Aaron can speak to it. Like if it's in a shelter setting or if it's in a clinic setting or if it's in a frontline rescue setting, like 
people aren't saying, oh, it's 10 o'clock. I'm going to go for my 20 minute coffee now. Oh, it's noon. I'm going to go for my hour lunch. Like people are probably working through those breaks or, you know, stretching themselves more than they should be because Mm -hmm. they feel as though they need to, like Aaron said, if there's lack of time, lack of resources, lack of other people. Christy wanted to say something. I saw you go like this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So our shelter, like I said, we only had, you know, three to four staff members at a time and that was including me. Um, And there were times we'd have 60 cats. And at one point we had 36 dogs as well as the 60 cats. And we were pushed absolutely to the limit. Um, One of our dogs was a pregnant year old shepherd. And we had no idea what she was impregnated by, but she was very close to having her babies. A male dog. (laughs) The dog. (laughs) So we had her all set up and uh, we had cameras in her enclosure so that we could check in because she was back in the isolation room. When we knew it was super close to time, we actually, me and one of the other kennel attendants, we would wake up periodically to check just in case she needed help just because we had no idea what the dad dog was and we're like we don't need this dog to die because nobody saw her and so that was yeah one of the instances where we absolutely pushed ourselves to the limit because we'd wake up through the night and check and then in the morning go to work again and that went on for probably a week and she ended up giving birth while we were working so <laughs> no overtime. Yeah. Well, there still was. We were there until like 10 o'clock that night. Oh, I was going to say she's a union dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember like working Christmas day and like, there was like, doesn't matter when there's animals that like you're there all the time. There's somebody, there's people working all the time. It, yeah. yeah. So you're burnt out and it's Christmas morning and you're supposed to be hanging out with your opening presents with your family and you're picking up dog shit. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the days. And I think people don't realize that, you know, like even through COVID, when we talked about like essential workers, like we we were part of that. And Absolutely. I think that was kind of a forgotten aspect was like, and like even more like the influx of people getting pets through the pandemic and thereby also like surrenders happening. Right. Like huge influx. But yeah. it didn't. I, I don't want to say it didn't get the attention it deserved because obviously so many things uh, happened <laughs> because of the pandemic, but it, we definitely felt it. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. I can imagine. And uh, it's funny when I was working in the shelter too, it was like these trends would go through, right? It was like 101 Dalmatians came out. And the next thing you know, it's like over the next year and a half, everybody and their dog are bringing Dalmatians and surrendering them because they had knew nothing about Dalmatians. They just knew they were cute dogs on the cartoon. And then, you know, oh, they're big and they, they, they're aggressive when you do this and whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do your research. I mean, honestly, the internet was just starting when I was working at the shelter. So <laughs> it's harder to do your research then, but yeah, it's funny. People are, people are people, man. That's why we work with animals <laughs> or yeah. I worked with animals. I don't work with animals, but yeah. One of the really difficult things about mental health and animal welfare is that it is, it's hard to talk about in the sense that it's so shocking. Like I very early in my career figured out that it 
is probably not appropriate for me to just like unload my day on my partner because it's sad. Like some of them are super, super sad, super horrific stories. And it's not productive necessarily for me to unload it to them. It's much more productive to do it in like a therapy session or even just like unload it in whatever other, whatever other fashion. But I think it can be difficult to talk to, to people about unless you're in it because some of those stories, like I, yeah, like there should be something like that. Cause like there, yeah, there are stories that I would probably never even speak about because they're so daunting. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, I was just going to say like off of Aaron's comment, like, I think that that's really good and healthy to recognize like, oh, I can't just go home and like talk about this and get it off. But then recognizing like, okay, if I can't, I need to take the effort to figure out how am I going to debrief? And I think maybe some people might like recognize that boundary and be like, oh no, I'm not going to go talk to my partner or I'm not going to go talk to my parents or whatever about this situation. But then it's like taking it one step further and being like, so how am I going to deal with it? And maybe people might not take that extra step or might not be able to find something that really fits them well. Yes. Final thoughts. Sure. My final thought, I'll go first, um, is that connected when we're thinking about animal welfare, there's always like at least two parties connected to every animal. There's the animal welfare professional and there's the owner or the primary caregiver of that animal. Um, and I think it's important to remember that when those two human parties are working together, like we have no idea what the other party is going through or experiencing. Um, so just to have a little grace with if it's the caregiver and the owner um, or that animal welfare professional, you just have no idea. Good point. Aaron, final thought? I, I was going to say something very similar, which is just to extend kindness. Bullshit. You, know? you weren't gonna. You no, I, I, I really think, <laughs> especially lately, it seems like every industry is strained in some way. Like I saw a thing recently at like an ultra cuts, and there was a sign, like a very detailed sign about how they wouldn't tolerate verbal abuse, and I was like, this is ultra cuts. Like every everyone is feeling it, and I just would would hope to encourage people to to take a step back when when you engage with anyone now and just be like, we don't know how the pandemic has been, how the years since have been for other people. Just just yeah, take take a step back before you before you react to something and just treat people kindly. <laughs> Christy, final thought? Final thought. You can't pour from an empty cup. You gotta take care of yourself first. You go girl. <laughs> True. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love someone else? Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Paul, <laughs> anybody? Anybody watch? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, Thank you so much, ladies. You guys were amazing and um, just, yeah, very gracious of you to be, be on the podcast and to speak with me. Uh, you're all very, very lovely people, so thank you again. And and if you like this podcast, I have a few more podcasts I think you'd like. Uh, one is Rainy Days Podcast. 
That's another mental health podcast. And the host there is Jason. That's a great one to listen to. Another great one would be Feel Free. That's with the host, John. And it's also just a really great podcast and a great host. And uh, another one, this is uh, this is mostly kind of recovery-based and addiction-related, uh, Hard Knocks Talks with Dan. Uh, you can find all three of those podcasts on wherever you find podcasts, I believe. So yeah, check those out. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple. It means so much to podcasters to get those ratings and reviews. I can't explain just how important that is to me. Also, please check out next week's podcast with Agata talking about medical assistance and death for mental health reasons. And uh, also, please don't forget to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Bye.